We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. From the files of Schlock and Awe, welcome to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV Creature Feature. Here are your hosts, Matty Budrevich and Dave Wayne. Don't you dare touch me! Stand back! No! No! Hello and welcome to Natural Selection Episode 3. Um, yeah, we are the, the, the premiere creature feature podcast the only the only the only creature creature feature podcast. podcast at the moment anyway <laughs> you know with the amount of new podcasts that keep on cropping up each and every month given to every imbecile with a with a with a microphone and a recording device who can you know sort of fart out some dour drab <laughs> 35 minute monologue this is quickly becoming therapy for you isn't it Dave this is either a bit of uh, no, self deprecating no, no, no. humour or some sort no, 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 of no. passive aggressive dig at someone no, no, no. we may or may not have been it, it's fine it's fine no 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 no. production quality does not matter we all know that um, and you know we should abide by that rule um, <laughs> but anyway um, I am Dave Wayne and this is my, my co-host Matty Budrevich hello and thank you for making this podcast so successful so far and before we go on, don't forget to keep on subscribing to our wonderful podcast. Um, keep on liking it, keep on sharing it, keep on talking about it, keep on asking us questions about it, and um, and please send us money. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really nice if uh, that would, you know. Yeah. Wait, comments are nice, but gifts are better. Gifts are better, you know. Keep on. You know, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take I'll take any arrow Blu-ray. We're okay for eighty eight. We get those for free. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so today, what, what's on the agenda? We've got King Cobra coming up and we've got a bit of uh, Blood Surf 2. So why why these two? Why these two? Well, very, very simply, we we talk a lot about the touchstones of 90s, early noughties creature features, which are, of course, the holy trinity of Anaconda, Deep Blue Sea and Lake Placid. So... While they are the ones that undoubtedly influence the vast majority of the films that we're looking at on this podcast, um, you do have to remember that monsters in general, particularly those with a sort of naturalistic bent, you know, like real creatures or real historical creatures, not not mythical or particularly fantastical ones, um, you know, monsters uh, were very much in the uh, in the zeitgeist throughout the nineties. You know, you had big, big movies, Jurassic Park, um, even Congo. You know, these things, they were making a hell of a lot of money at the box office yeah. uh, in the 90s. They were making a lot, a lot of money on the uh, video rental circuit. And mm -hmm. then, of course, which would transform into DVD. Yeah. Um, so, monsters, within the, the genre eye, you mm -hmm. know, monsters are always going to sell. Uh and I think today we need to shed a bit of light on the fact that just because Anaconda, Deep Blue Sea and Lake Placid happened doesn't mean that there weren't films before them mm -hmm. yeah. of the same sort of ilk about giant snakes, about um, sharks, mm -hmm. about crocodiles 
alligators, whatever. You know, it doesn't mean that these films didn't exist at least in an idea form before then. And what I really like is that King Cobra existed before Anaconda. That's right. Mm. Okay. Um, of course, uh, as so commonly happens, Anaconda ends up released first. Yeah. Um, and why? It's it's just really quite simple, really. You know, it's the perils of low-budget filmmaking. You know, King Cobra's backers dropped out at one point. There was a mad scrabble for financing, blah, blah, blah. The long and the short of it being that eventually King Cobra ends up coming out after Anaconda. Mm. But, you know, th- that is a good thing in a sense as well because... Anaconda had made so much money at the box office and as a video starting to become a DVD rental that there was a demand for snake movies. Mm -hmm. So King Cobra ends up getting touted around various film markets, uh, which for one of its backers, Trimark, who of course we'll we'll discuss at length later, um, you know, for a company like them who basically specialised in B-movies, especially yeah. horror and science fiction ones, you know, that sort of that sort of uh, touting around the market is their life's blood. That's how they yeah. earn money. Mm-hmm. You know, that's video sales, international sales, TV and cable sales. Mm-hmm. And King Cobra became one of the one of the earliest success stories as a, a property that was getting touted around, eventually getting picked up by like sci-fi and mm-hmm. then on to various DVD and video releases. It began as an experiment. Man testing the limits of nature and creating something that evolution never imagined. Is that what I think it is? It moves without sound. What the hell is it, man? Trying to figure that out. It lives without fear. The venom disintegrated half his face. And it kills. You didn't see what this thing did. Without mercy. (laughs) Now. Why would anyone cross an African king cobra with an eastern diamondback rubs? One town is about to discover... He wanted the most aggressive animals possible for testing. ...the darkest side of Mother Nature. And all the venom... Ah! ...it can unleash. I hate snakes. King Cobra. I'm telling you, I'm big trouble. <laughs> you listened to a clip of King Cobra there. So, where do we begin with this? I mean, who have we got behind this? We've got the Hillenbrand brothers, haven't mm-hmm. we? Yeah, and uh, before, uh, you know, I. I I'm almost ashamed to say before we really, really looked at King mm-hmm. Cobra, I yeah. wasn't too familiar with their output, and it's no, only no, no. <laughs> you know it's only sort of because we've done uh, this that I've. Uh, I know where you're going with this. Indulge. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to get, let's let's give them a bit of background on the uh, on the Hill and Brands because they do you know like. I don't think they're entirely successful as filmmakers. Not in an art, not maybe in an artistic way, but they they're interesting guys. 
they've, they've certainly got a, a unique perspective on, on genre material. Yeah, I mean, they dabbled in, in everything, really, haven't they? They've gone, mm. like, they did the, the sort of a weird sort of National Lampoon's riff, which was Dawn Days, yeah. and its sequel, Dawn Days 2, which was, I think, probably to capitalise on Road Trip, maybe, that kind yeah. of uh, American Pie. Yeah, that sort of school. 2003 time, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, sort of, yeah, teen, teen comedies. Yeah, um, uh, they did an early film in 97, the name of that. Um, Hostile can't something. Get it anyway. Yeah, can't, can't, uh, there's nothing even on IMDb no. about it. And uh, but you know, the, at, at the time of King Cobra, they were they were they were making that. It had been scripted. It mm-hmm. was shot. They were gearing up to make um, another movie, which um, they were touting heavily in the pages of Fangoria at the time, called Pinata. Which, um, like King Cobra, there's a lot of similarities with it. You know, in in terms of behind the scenes crew. Which, yeah. like King Cobra, has a very the big plus of Pinata and King Cobra is that they both have this amazing, amazing mm-hmm. uh, creatures designed by the Chiodo brothers yeah. of Killer Clowns from Outer Space fame. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a whole, if you were to draw a parallel with the horror output of the Hill and Brands, both King Cobra and Pinata suffer from the same kind of maybe episodic feel to it where it's sort of there's other than the monsters other than mm. the sort of horror set pieces there's not much else worth recommending to them no say. no i mean i mean pinata film or survival island as it was yeah of course yeah, yeah. um that that's a weird that's a weird one really isn't it i mean mm. just to go off a quick tangent i mean we, we saw it on youtube yeah. um not the greatest looking um, version of the film, um, but it's just it's 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 nuts, isn't it? This haunted mm. pinata and this this weird opening backstory, which yeah, yeah, <laughs> which again is you know the pinata and king cobra go hand in hand in the mm. sense that they're both so exposition heavy, yeah, 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 and I think that's the big the big big flaw of them is that as filmmakers, mm. the Hill and Brands at least their horror stuff anyway, um, and you know, and I'm saying this not in, in, not completely informed of them, I've only sort of had a cursory look at yeah. their output, so I may be proved wrong, um, but these two horror pictures that they made, they, it's, it's very much a case of showing and telling what's going on, and it's repeated yeah. Yeah, yeah, over yeah, and yeah. over again, mm-hmm. but the big saving grace of them both, like we said, mm-hmm. the amazing creature work. And if it wasn't for that, you know, King Cobra would be a total write-off. But this this monster, in as a pure aesthetically, just looking at it from a, in terms of creature carnage, King Cobra delivers the goods. It does I mean just just uh, with regard to narrative? I mean, we start off on some kind of it's almost a pre-credits sequence, this mm. background mm. uh, establishing position whereby we're in this lab aren't we and yep. team of scientists blah de, blah de, blah experimental drug increases aggression in animals and humans mm-hmm. we've got a cameo from Courtney Gaines who we love dearly mm-hmm. um, who's a little bit wayward um, yeah uh-huh. he that is a um, you know one of the, his performance you know he, he injects <laughs> himself with this aggression serum mm. um the whole you know the whole thing it's shot in this very sort of kinetic sub tony scott kind of way mm, you mm. know there's a lot of movement going on that sort of really clears up the fact that you know the, the script ain't all that but visually very arresting to look at yeah. Courtney Gaines is just I mean god why why he hasn't popped up 
in a lot more stuff than he has yeah. playing sheets to the wind <laughs> psychos he is just you know he he's the early other than the cobra other than the actual king cobra you know Courtney Gaines's cameo is just uh, spot on that's yeah. one of the, that's one of the highlights the first highlight of the film I say so yeah so they 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 noodling with this serum mm-hmm. that obviously has been injected um, into this uh, into a snake yeah but the, and the one character that does sort of Managed to get out of this situation and progress into the film is is um, Doctor Irwin Burns, Great isn't name. it? Uh, he name. sort of looks like he's wandered off a Hammer film. He's kind of this crusty scientist mm. with a bit of crushing about him, um, and uh, he's good. But I mean, he the way he survives them. I mean, not to as, as per usual, spoilers do apply in this. So if you do want to like have a spoiler free um, engagement with this podcast, then you might want to check out the films beforehand. But um, Burns kind of has um, somehow survives this blast that affects the mm-hmm. lab, and it's great the way he kind of gets blasted off his feet with an iron, like three foot iron door in his yeah, face. Yeah, it, it's very cool. And then ten seconds later, comes like wandering in. Mm. Hey. And, and of course, I think at this point we need to mention that the uh, the lab explosion mm. is is you know it's it's very well done. Again, going back to the sort of sub Tony Scott kind of thing. It's a bit, it's a it's yeah, a tight yeah. little action sequence. Oh, Shout out to the great uh, Jean Van Klein, who supervised the uh, effects, the explosion mm. and the fire effects in that sequence. He, of course, um, worked in a similar capacity on Dante's Peak. So to give you an idea quality-wise, mm. you know, mm. it, 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 this, it, this fire sequence is, is overseen by the guy behind Dante's Peak, which, for yeah. all it does wrong, contains some amazing mm. scenes uh, of, of carnage and fire-based gags. So, explosion, scientists, sneak on the loose, and then we're in Fillmore, a small brewery town. Mm-hmm. Which, um, in real life, is actually oh, really? a small brewery town, okay. yeah. And uh, by all accounts, according to the Hill and Brands, you know, they were quite, uh, they worked that into the script. Right. You know, and the, the, the town were quite thrilled that they were using, you know, they could use it sort of as a, a little bit of a cross-promotion yeah. between their own beer and what's actually happening on screen. And okay. because, of course, this brewery town, this snake is on the loose um, in the middle of uh, a beer festival, yeah. which is a great hook. It's, you know, we got the sort of sub-jaws thing because yeah, it, 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 it sets up all... Yeah, the, the mayor who doesn't want anything happening <laughs> in it. He doesn't want to call the beer festival off regardless mm. of this 30-foot king cobra slivering, slivering around the place because... You know, it's going to lose the town money. Yeah. So it's got the whole Jaws thing, which is always welcome. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, a, a few cool, a cool little cameo from Erica Strada. It's bizarre. Uh, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a nonsensical cameo, isn't it? I mean, oh, completely. It's, it's completely, you know, Campers Christmas, as you might yeah, say. Pl- playing, uh, I, I think, I, it, I don't really know what sort of, he pops up in this one scene playing a guy called <laughs> Bernie Alvarez, and he's just this... <laughs> A total, total gay camp stereotype, you know. But he's a hoot, yeah. and uh, you know, listening to the audio commentary of the film, the Hillenbrands were very, very quick to say that Eric Estrada pursued them for the role. He he wanted to <laughs> he wanted to add like a camp gay guy to his uh, repertoire for for whatever reason, it you know. You know, but it you know it's a fun scene. It sort of plays into the whole. Uh, Mayor not wanting to mm, call mm. the beer festival off, yada, yada, yeah. yada. 
Um, but at the core of this story, we have, of course, got the the the, the love struck couple ish because they're 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 exes, aren't they? They've, they've yes. broken up, which is uh, Brad Kagan, played by the co-director himself, Scott Hillenbrand, yes. and also um, Joe Biddle, played by uh, Casey Falco, who have broken up because that Brad, who's a doctor, he wants to go to the big city to sort of pursue mm-hmm. his career, but Joe, she's like a small town girl, wants to stay at home and um, you yeah. know sort of. So, and of course, they, throughout the course of the story, rekindle their love yeah. affair while battling a 30-foot King Cobra. Um, as, as as you do, you know. Yeah. But it's it's a very, in that sort of nutshell, it's a very uh, economical story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it knows its limitations. Um, it's just so, so repetitive. And I feel <laughs> that, like, you've got this... You've got this great cast, you know. Mm. You've got Joseph uh, Ruskin as Erwin Burns, yeah. who they, who when he pops up later on in the story to try and track the snake nah. that he helped create. He's you know he's walking around like Snake Pliskin with a with a friggin' eye patch on. <laughs> a wonderful touch. You, you, you know we got the aforementioned Eric Estrada. Yeah. We got Scott Hillenbrand, who you know he's. He equips himself well. I imagine he right. put, spent a lot more energy directing the yeah. film than he did acting. Um, Casey, uh, what Casey Falco? She, she she's cool. She mm-hmm. she a, plays a decent part. Um, we've got uh, what's he called? The guy from Gremlins as the mayor, uh, Hoyt, uh, Hoyt, Hoyt Axton. Well, you know, Hoyt of course had um, had been arrested two years prior to that. All right, okay. Um, for possession of a pound of weed. Wow. Okay. Um, because he he, he he stated that it was um, for for post stroke relief. <laughs> <laughs> wow! You've just turned this guy's genuine medical ailments into a into a wanking joke. Okay. No, post stroke relief. Come on. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, that that was his excuse. So he got he got he got he didn't get sent down. He's got got on a, a, a what you call it. But yeah, he he films his part in a wheelchair mm. because he was pretty much struggling to um, to move. Uh, at the time, which is really sad because yeah, it, he is sort of a great character actor. This was his uh, final appearance as well yeah. before his, his death in uh, October 1999. So he's 61, looks a lot older than that. Yeah. A quick shout out also to Eric Lawson as uh, Sheriff Ben Lowry, mm-hmm. who to me, he kind of really did the, the budget Chuck Napier. Yes, kind of yeah, did that very, very well. Very well. Um, and of course, he has form playing sort of grizzled mm. sheriffs popping up in. Uh, Rumpled stilt skin. Yeah, um, as well. Pops up as well in a couple of uh, this really tickled me in a couple of Fred Olin Ray action movies oh, like really? Countermeasures and mm. uh, The Prophet. Um, but you know, most notably, he has got some nineties creature feature form. Uh, he's in uh, Skeeter, yeah, and he's battled snakes before in uh, the seventies Snake Shocker Rattlers ah. from nineteen seventy six. Mm. So you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of creature feature history. Mm-hmm. In there, which is nice, but these guys are just—they're let down by the repetitive nature yeah, of the yeah. script, you know. And it—it's it, exposition heavy all the time, and it's just constantly—I don't even want to say it's moving the plot forward. It's just recapping what you've seen in previous scenes, mm-hmm. and you know, we—the problem with the film is we know this giant snake. This—it's a cross between—it's um, a cross between two different species. Yeah, of it's snakes, the which uh, King Cobra, which um, and the Eastern Diamondback rattlesnake, isn't yeah. it? Asian King Cobra, but yeah. there's no Asian King Cobra, is it? It's an African King Cobra, or vice yeah. versa. It's one or the other, but 
Either way, it, it's it's like a cobra and a rattlesnake. So, and that, uh, and that of course, is uh, that's probably the best bit of exposition in the film, purely because it's spat by the great, the late great Pat Morita of Karate yeah. Kid fame, who top billing. Yeah, it receives top billing. Tips up what about fifty minutes in um, yeah. as the uh, the sort of eccentric um, snake hunter. You mm-hmm. know this guy, uh, Nick Nick Hashimoto, the herpetologist who's recruited. Uh, by the town to sort of you know mm. to do the sort of uh, the, the the jaws thing you know the uh, he's the guy who's going to capture it yeah. and he's he's the one who's going to bring peace and order back to the town um, and you know it, it Marita it, it's a it's a wonderfully colourful performance but again he's let down by uh, the the show and tell aspects mm-hmm. of the script mm-hmm. you know he's got. He comes in straight off the bat with this real hard sales pitch. You know, it's a real hard sell of how dangerous this union of two <laughs> types of snake are, yeah. and how uh, how uh, monstrous a hybrid it is. And uh, obviously, it's it, it kind of moot. You know, we've we've seen how aggressive and scary this snake is. Mm-hmm. You know, and and like we said earlier, that's endemic of both King Cobra and Pinata. They just love piling on this, like overemphasizing expository stuff, showing, telling. Um, but like I said, I like Marita, colourful performance, and I can forgive all this kind of stuff because of the actual snake. Yeah, it, it's a it's mega, it's a mega. The Kyoto Brothers have, have done a, you know, a really really decent job. I mean, you know. Mm. And I know it's it's been a pretty much a, um, a running theme from episode one in that most of the creatures that we've seen so far have been great, you know, mm-hmm. spiders, yeah. octopus, and crocodile, both films. But this, I think, in Concobra really did uh, take it to another level. I almost. think this would be, in terms of creature design, mm-hmm. this would be, you know, for all that the film does wrong, as in terms of pure design, this is one of the top three yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, monster designs of, of the sort of creature feature can mm. you know so like we said um, designed and created by um, the Kyodo brothers um, and you know the actual breakdown of the effects in terms mm. of budget is extraordinary it was, it was a low budget shoot but you know they had a mix of animatronics and puppets right uh, we had a hero head and neck with uh, the expanding hood you know so you get the mm. whole mm. the classic cobra sort of um, a realistic tongue movement that was done through uh, the animatronics, uh, an insert prop for the body which had a canvas bag, so you oh, could. Right, so okay. on that great moment where we see the guy who's he gets eaten, yeah. and you can see him thrashing around inside. Mm-hmm. You know that was all done with a canvas bag and a stunt person. Uh, so there's the midsection, a mobile tail section, uh, a stunt head, stunt tail spitting function and the rattler you know there's a lot of pieces to this thing and it and they all you know credit credit where it's due to uh, the cinematographer Phil Schwartz Mm -hmm. um, who of course uh, would go on to shoot Pinata for the Hill and Brands that's right Um, and uh, the film's uh, editor for you know for for cutting this thing together so so brilliantly Mm -hmm. you know it really it sells the illusion that this snake is actually there and you know you get a few full body shots of it. There's a great moment where yeah. it's reflected in the TV, which oh, is just, right. you know, that is a candidate for one perfect shot. Why <laughs> those guys don't angle into more schlocky stuff, I do not know. But if, if, if for some reason they listen to this, they need to pull that and hashtag the, hashtag the hell out of that. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it is just remarkable to look at. And mm. it's just, 
it squares up with Pat Morita, for God's sake, in the film's closing stretch. You know, you you got Pat Morita, you got Mr. Miyagi fighting this amazing, uh, this, this amazing practical cobra. Mm. You know, and that is just that that is, it's a highlight that occurs too late in the film, really. Yeah, but it yeah. is, it, it's a very very cool moment, and it sort of does a tone for the kind of lumpen rest of it. Yeah, so we're saying we're saying flawed essentially, aren't we? It's, mm. it's a flawed creature feature, but it's still one that's um, you know a central jigsaw piece in, in the whole. Um, mm. Yeah, just and, and again, that is purely for all the animal attack stuff. You know, it's uh, the attack, the effects. Um, not a good movie, but recommendable based upon the carnage that we see, and because like like we said, that stuff is that is a high watermark in this kind of movie. And, uh, you know, I'd be very, very surprised if any of the uh, more CGI-based creature features that we'll, you know, invariably end up looking at mm. can reach this level of, uh, of glorious effects work. You're listening to Natural Selection, the home of the DTV creature feature. On the far side of paradise, known as Palm Island, there lies a secret cove where a surfer's dream can become reality and a new extreme sport you me and about 30 or so live snapping sharks can become the ultimate high blood surfing that's why we do it babe for the rush That was totally out of control. Now, after surviving the ultimate test of nerves, these four friends are about to face... Something's not right. ...the ultimate test... What was that? You ever see anything like that? ...of survival. Come on, this isn't fun anymore! It moves silently. There's definitely something in there. It's not a mermaid. It strikes quickly. Am I the only one that notices that thing can hold ass in the water and on land? Big, big... Huge problem. Saltwater crocodile, 31 feet long, over 3,000 pounds. And it's got one huge... He wasn't hungry, guys. He wanted to kill. Attitude. No! If that thing's still alive, there is no getting off this island. Blood surf. All right. There was a clip from uh, James Hickox's Blood Surf there, and uh, just right off the bat, I feel we need to we need to say that we both really, really, really like this movie, um, and I I like it more than just because of my giant crocodile kink. Um, <laughs> you know, this is the film that we nicked um, one of the, one of the uh, sort of uh, score cues from for the for the title music of this podcast. You know, the great um, "Swimming with Sharks." It's called by uh, the wonderful uh, Jim Manzi, um, and you know, the reason we did that was because when it came down to um, talking about these movies, to doing a podcast on them, Blood Surf was one of the first ones that I, I, I really wanted us to do because mm. I, think, I, I, think it's, I think it's terrific. You know, it's, um, again, like King Cobra, picked up by Trimark. Um, you know, he, he uh, Mark Amin had already picked up King Cobra for them um, and he... 
was in the process of acquiring all the uh, new image films for DVD distribution. Yeah. So, you know, at the same time as Blood Surf was getting made with Trimark uh, in co-production with Tapestry Films, um, Toby Hooper was shooting Crocodile for New Image, um, and Crocodile ended up released by Trimark in December 2000, um, which was roughly the same time that Blood Surf hit um, video in the UK via High Flyers, yeah. before Trimark would release it stateside in um, June 2001. Mm. So, you know, this sort of fit into the Trimark model at the time of these sort of animal movies that were selling well. Um, Mark Amin, of course, the head of Trimark, he had a background in uh, video distribution. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd set Trimark up in uh, 1984 as Vidmark. Yeah. Uh, moved into film production with Demon Warp in 1988 uh, before moving on to theatrical genre movies in 89 with mm-hmm. Warlock. And eventually Trimark, you know, when they rebrand the Trimark, they start belting out all these B-movies, um, particularly B-horrors like the Leprechaun series, like mm. uh, The Dentist, Return of the Living Dead 3. Um, and you know this is this was Trimark's bread and butter. This this was the label in the early nineties that were giving home to people like Brian Usner, Albert Pune, Mark Jones. You mm. know the, the mm. good quality B movies. And so, to my mind, at the turn of the millennium, of course, it was only uh, you know there's a million other factors that we need to consider. Here. Like I said, it was a, a tapestry co-production. The uh, you know, the, the company uh, headed by Pete Abrams, um, and he already had uh, form with Trimark, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so, and, and he'd worked as well with uh, the great Anthony Hickox, who, of mm-hmm. course, was uh, not only the director of Waxwork and Full Eclipse and all these wonderful, wonderful uh, and wild and wacky horror movies, he was the brother of uh, Blood Surf's uh, director, James Hickox. Yeah. I mean, James was coming straight off the bat of The Gardener, wasn't he? Yes. Which is a really is cool correct. film. You know. it's, uh, it's a very cool film, yeah. Mug McDowell. Um, and then he did something after that, storytelling or something like that afterwards. Yeah, which, a, little, um, a little indie movie. Yeah. You know? um, and then straight onto Blood Surf, which mm. uh, is set in Indonesia, which I think really does yeah. benefit mm. the film greatly. I mean, those locations. I mean, it's a film that looks... Absolutely fantastic. I mean, I've got I've got in my notes so straight away the opening credit sequence. Mm. You know, you have like this uh, this sort of little preamble where yeah. there's someone experiencing a vision. Who, mm-hmm. of course, we find out is the uh, is the sort of grizzled sea captain character. <laughs> but after that, you know, we open with these uh, Filipino locations, mm-hmm. this beautiful exotic beach scenery. Oh, yeah. You know, there's waves lapping at the sand. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> You know, you half expect Judith Charmers to pop up. <laughs> you know, there's a real travel log type quality to it. Yeah. And of course, that, you know, re- reading an old Fangoria article mm. with, with James Hickox, he said that was a very conscious decision because at the, at the time they were making Blood Surf, yeah. Toby Hooper was making Crocodile. That yeah. was going to be set in a lake, so they wanted to do something a bit bigger and say, uh-huh. you know, salt water. Yeah. And I think above all else, you know, sort of, if you're familiar with the Hickox's work in general, mm. You know, if you look at... So there's James Hickox, the younger brother, there's Anthony Hickox, and then there's their late father, uh, Douglas Hickox, yeah. who, of course, made Zulu Dawn, Theatre of Blood. But there's a real... 
you know, I, I think as f- a filmmaking family, mm. they're very much into that sort of on-set life of, like, yeah, going yeah, places yeah. to make making these movies in far-off climes. And, you know, it's part of the adventure of making movies. Mm. And never in, in, in James Hickox's career has it become more apparent than in Blood Surf because he really... You know, he really angles in with all the scenery and, you know, the mm-hmm. sort of lush foliage and that. And it's just a beautiful... Just just to experience, you feel really warm watching it. It is like being yeah. on holiday. It is. I mean, even the inland bits as well, you know, you've got all those kind of... Well, these stone sculptures of some kind mm-hmm. and, and all the, the jungle aspect of it. I mean, it's a really beautiful film. Um, but, you know, central to this, we've got, we've got a bit of a knob, which is uh, Zach Jardine, uh, played by Matt Bolenghi, who's the producer... And he wants to sort of film these, um, film these, these 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 surf sequences with a bit of uh, shark action going on. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not exactly talking Bruce Brown and Endless Summer here, but um, <laughs> it, it's well, it, it's kind of a spin on that, isn't it? Um, yeah, like the the hook. You know, the film's called Blood Surf, and and apparently, blood surfing is the act of of surfing. You, where you you you'll cut your hand or you'll cut your foot mm-hmm. and you'll sw- you'll hit a wave and you'll get and, and, and the blood is meant to attract sharks to add like a bit more danger to an already fairly extreme sport. So, like you say, you got the producer guy um, filming it, and you know Hickox is in in interviews he was he's very been very quick to sort of stress the uh, the realism. Yeah, of, yeah. of blood surf, you know he's he, he's he's pretty insistent that blood surfing is is a real thing. That mm-hmm. the, the film script writers uh, Sam Bernard and uh, Robert Levy, um, who both tangled quite extensively with uh, James Hickox's brother Anthony before writing mm-hmm. and producing payback. Warlock, yeah, mm-hmm. Payback, Full Eclipse. You know they did a lot of research into what blood surfing is and that, and you know I don't think it it, it doesn't come across on screen. No. but it it's nice to know that it's got some sort of Real life footing, but these these are pedigree screenwriters as well, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you look at Levy or Levy, um, Smoking the Bandit. I mean, you know, he was coining it in with Smoking mm-hmm. the Bandit, and even with with Bernard, you know, Dark Tide, which they wrote together, which is which is some strange, bizarre, quite fetishistic, mm-hmm. um, S and M, a little bit rapey. As well, uh, yeah. which, which uh, we got censored for using last. Yeah, we can't use that word, use especially if, if if it's in <laughs> if it's about any sort of studio project. Yeah. I don't like that. No, no, no. DM was to find out why. Um, um, but yeah, Dark Tide, very rapey, bizarre film with um, Richard Tyson. But yeah, I mean Bernard, who did um, Payback, as you say, The Granny, uh, The Chain, mm. with Busey as well. Um, these, these these are like high end screenwriters. Uh, yeah, so in, in terms of uh, in terms of like director video fare, yeah, this is like this is the top end of that stuff. You mm-hmm. know, they had they've got a uh, now. We tried we, we we tried so hard to try to uh, get James Hickox to interview for this episode, but you know our requests had all fallen flat. So if by some miracle you're listening to this, James, please get in touch. We'd love to pick your brains on this remarkable little movie. Um, purely if only to. Uh, you know, I think Bernard and Levy were part of Tapestry Films with Peter Abrams. Yeah. You know, and of course, um, I feel we have to mention as well that Levy has form in surf movies as well. You know, he was a producer of Point Break. Of course, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I think I'd like to think maybe it's me just romanticising here, but you know, it's just <laughs> me, he's you know, and he kind of looks like an ex-surfer type with the shaggy hair and stuff. So 
you know, that's that's the hook of the movie. You've got these two surfers, um, Bog Hall, played by Dax Miller, of uh, who of course was whose only really other notable movie was Mike Mendez's The Convent. Convent. That's right. I mean, bizarrely, freakily short career. Um, but then again, Joel West wasn't that much more ready anyway. Wasn't yeah, I remember him. Yeah. Um, remember him, and then and, uh, I think it was High Flyers released it. Sound like someone we know um, back in <laughs> 2000 remember on the video store shows and um, a film called The Smokers which had like a really iconic dark black cover right, with right. Thora Birch and Dominic Spain and that was really a really crappy film that did really really well on video but apart from that I mean these two leads Joel and, and Dax didn't really you know go on to like fame and fortune but in this film they're fine I mean Joel West's uh, hairstyle may Maybe uh, yeah, the, the, but, the Billy Idol look. Yeah, it's the kind of bleach bond surfer um, thing that that, that yeah, know, that's what the that's what they're well. going for. Yeah. and and you know, and like you say, they are they're likable. You know, and, and, and I would say, um, you know, you know, the very the, the character of Zach, the producer guy, he's he's the asshole. He's the one framed as the asshole. He's the one who's wanting to put these guys mm-hmm. and his girlfriend, who's the camera girl. Um, you know, he's wanting to put them into danger to get this shot. Um, you know, I don't know how, you know, that whole angle of him filming these extreme sports mm. seems kind of, it, you know, it, it's a little twee in the age of like smartphones and, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the girl who, uh, who was played by uh, Kate uh, Fisher, who uh, has, has now um, converted to Orthodox Judaism no. and is known as uh, Chispara Malka. Um, apologies if I haven't pronounced the name right. But yeah, she uh, Australian actress, mm. model. She's now abandoned that career and is right. working as a as an age aged care worker in an Australian suburb somewhere. Huh. You know, and of course she was she became quite famous at one point mm. for the film Sirens. So massive career change. But apparently she's very happy doing that and she happier than she's ever been. So hey, more power to her. Mm. But uh, yeah, so she's she's the girlfriend. She's filming it. It's very twee because in the age of camera phones, you yeah. know, like this sort of. The idea you can go viral on social media now. You don't need to make like shockumentaries and stuff. Mm, you know, mm. you can, if, if this sort of stuff that they're trying to achieve, doing something stupid with an element of danger to it, you can see that on Twitter every day. So yeah. you know, it, I like it. I don't want to insult it. Maybe you know, because maybe calling it twee is kind of insulting. But you know, it 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 pushes nostalgia buttons for a more innocent time. Yeah. You know, so they're blood surfing. They're trying to get these sharks to chase them, but. Instead of a shark, they get a giant saltwater crocodile, and the the rest of the movie just them being pursued by this monstrous, monstrous beast, um, uh, who which is also in turn being pursued by uh, the grizzled captain John Dirks, who is cast played by the great Duncan. Uh, how would you say this? Regger? Regger? Something given the Um I don't know, really. We'll just call him Duncan. Regger. Duncan Regger, who yeah. were most famous, of course, for being Dracula from Monster, Monster Squad. Squad. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's great. I mean, so you've got this 31-foot, 3,000-pound crocodile. Mm-hmm. Where, where are we here? We're on an island, aren't we? I kept on, they kept on referring to her. I couldn't... Lilo Cave or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's just one of these sort of generic... I mean, exotic locations, you know. That isn't they, it meant to be off the coast of Florida? It's meant to be like U.S. bound, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's in U.S. waters, but yeah. obviously the uh, the uh, 
the uh, the Filipino locals kind of give the game away, <laughs> and you know, and then they sort of factor in. Well, we've got some, we've got access to some Filipino actors, so um, let's throw some pirates mm. in there. You know, so you've got like a, a bunch of pirates that come into it to, be, you know, these sort of Somali pirate types, um, and they sort of. They become, you know, meat for the beast. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's just all kinds of fruity croc carnage once it gets going. I wasn't into that. You didn't like the pirates? I don't know. Like, do we need that? Um, Like I said, they're, they're meat, man. They're just, mm. they're victims. It's yeah, like yeah. in a, it's in a, sla- like, like a, the whole slasher movie thing where, you know, they'll throw like a few, like, random people in there just to be killed. Mm-hmm. You know, and... and there's that great moment on the pirate ship where the croc flies out of the water. <laughs> we see it in full scale for the first yeah, time, and it yeah. eats one of them. The lead pirate, um, who's called Joker, and he's, he's actually played by Archie uh, Archie Adamos, and he's a big, big star in the Philippines, oh, from really? what I gather, yeah. Um, and he's killed very, very gorily with... Uh, while being, you know, he pops up later on after fighting the croc for a bit, and then he's killed Gorley by a, a booby trap, which is like a... I like that because it reminded me a lot of the, the Ruggiero Diodato film, mm, Cut and Run. Mm, it was mm. like, you know, the whole bisection gag in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can see why you wouldn't like the pirates, because it, it, it does kind of kill the croc action, Stone Dead. I didn't dislike it, I just thought, you know... It just seems a little bit of padding. But I suppose it needed a, what, what did it run? Maybe 85 minutes. Mm. And I thought the way... Um, it's a very, very brisk film. Yeah, it is brisk. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought maybe if you had to be picky. I mean, you could be picking the dialogue. I mean, some of the dialogue in it is just oh. it's fist-chewingly awful. You know, um, you know that's what you call crock-teasing. Um, <laughs> but then again, it, it's so awful, it's almost brilliant. Yeah, and like... I do think that the flaw of Blood Surf is that there they could have been a bit more croc carnage. Mm. So that's why I will forgive the pirates because it puts... If you took them out, there would be a lot less croc action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, for, you know, what I want... Did to see from Blood Surf was that croc stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, the practical creation yeah. is a, it, it's, it's a wonderful, re, it's got that wonderful cartoony and plastic quality oh, yeah. that yeah. only its designer, the late great John Carl Beekler, can mm. provide. You know, and it's, it's, it's a cool creation. Um, and I think that if we didn't have the pirates in there, there wouldn't be as much good croc stuff. No, no, I mean, you're right. I mean, technically speaking, I think it, it's it's pretty much flawless. I mean, you've got people working with James that he's obviously familiar with. You know, edited by Matthew Booth, and they mm-hmm. did four films together. I think Booth's mm. last film was uh, I think he edited um, Tony's uh, Shanghai Escape to Shanghai. Oh yeah, um, film, yeah. Exodus to Shanghai, rather. Yeah, also, Escape from the Third Reich, as it's known over here, a perennial favourite in the three pound section of Asda. <laughs> but a very good film, The Inglorious Bastards of uh, of uh, straight to DVD movies. No doubt. Um, and then uh, Christopher Pearson was DP. They'd worked together on uh, Storytellers, and they went on to work together on Sabretooth which is uh, Hickox's follow-up, not, not, not follow-up, but the next film he did after Blood Surf, which he did for Sci-Fi Channel mm-hmm. in 2002. So the crew he was working with were obviously familiar. They had a good rapport, and that shows on screen because, yeah. it, you know, technically it's a really good film, and as you say, it's brisk, you know. 
Mm. Um, it's 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 the film. If if we were to look at Hickox as a, as a director, mm. you know, if you look, if you he he his debut, obviously he'd cut his teeth working in various capacities on Anthony's stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but he cut his teeth with Children of the Corn Free, Urban mm-hmm. Harvest. That mm-hmm. was his his uh, debut, yeah. which was originally going to be set, uh, which was originally sorry going to be directed by Anthony, but then who decided to pass it over to James so he could get his leg up. Yeah. That is a very, very good Children of the Corn sequel. It is. How, however, it is very sloppily done. You can tell mm. there's a lot of sort of uh, newbie mistakes to it. Mm-hmm. But there's a, 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 a wonderful, tremendous energy there. That, of course, tr- uh, happened in Hickox's next movie, The Gardener, which mm. is, uh, you know, also known as Garden of Evil, as you said, starring Malcolm McDowell. Um, and, and that is one of the most, to me, I, I I hate the term, but one of the most <laughs> wonderful, so bad it's good kind of films. Yeah. You know, it's basically a horticultural house of wax, for God's <laughs> sake, you know. But that's got, as kind of cack-handed it can be at times, it still has an energy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that what Hickox wanted to get on screen in both Children of the Corn Free and The Gardener he finally manages to get that sort of gusto, that enthusiasm, that drive mm. across in mm. Blood Surf. Mm. You know, this is where he he comes into his own as a uh, as a filmmaking force. You know, and then as you say, when he goes on to do Sabretooth, which is probably one of the very best of sci fi's two thousand and two to two thousand and five mm-hmm. slate. You know that. Yeah. You know he he's he goes to another strength with that, and you know, and I I do think. Everything that's good about Hickox as a director, it's embodied in uh, Blood Surf. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's irrespective of what, what what we think of it, it's still been pilloried and still been you know heavily criticised mm-hmm. across uh, mm-hmm. the internet. And even now, nearly twenty years on, there's still not many Blood Surf think pieces reevaluating. Yeah, so. <laughs> Where are they? They, sh- they should be, man. I mean, I honestly thought that like. You know when when uh, what's it called when Crawl came out a couple oh, yeah. of months ago? I yeah, honestly thought people would start jumping back on yeah, Bloodsurf. Yeah. You know, because there, there is so much cool stuff in here. Mm-hmm. You know, Hickox's direction, like we said, wonderfully lively, mm-hmm. very robust. Uh, the effects work, Beekler's stuff Brilliant. is. You know, he he passed away a couple of months ago. Why mm-hmm. aren't people? You know, why in? Yes, I love Ghoulies. Yes, I yeah. I love Cellar Dweller. I love mm-hmm. all the stuff he made with Charles Band. Yeah. But you know. Let's let's give a little love to Blood Surf. You know, it, it belongs in the same. His design is it. Mm. It's part of that wonderful Carnosaur tradition that he did. It's got that this wonderful pulp comic book sensibility yeah. to it. And you know, the fact the fact Crawler's come out. This is a this is a crock shocker par excellence. <laughs> you know, John Beekler's passed away. Let's you know, yeah. like. There's so many things that we could have jumped on to start reevaluating this movie before I mean, now. You know, there are so many opportunities to do it, but it, it's weird. It's weird. There's just a mental block for people to go back and look at this era of filmmaking. I mean, see it alone for what? What would we say? Reg her, read your Duncan. See it. See it for the Duncan guys. Duncan. Like he he gets a Captain Rhodes in David Dead moment, uh. man. You know, I, 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 he gets bit in half, and he and you know he shouts like, <laughs> what is it? Damn you to hell! As he's as he's like dang has half his 
carcasses dangling <laughs> from the roof of a boathouse. Yeah. And you know, and that alone, that is the sort of catnip that people who, mm. if you like B horror movies, mm. Blood Surf should really, really, you know, that it should tickle your fancy. I think you, you, you it's, it's the sort of thing that you can get a good kick out of, and it's the sort of thing you can sit back with a, I know, with a doner kebab and a couple of beers on a Friday night and just have an absolute blast with. Yes, know. yes. So people, go away. Somehow get hold of Concobra, somehow get hold of Blood Surf. You might be able to stream them, possibly. But DVDs are available in most good charity shops. Mm. <laughs> go away, go away and see them, watch them for the first time, or re-watch them and re-evaluate them. And come back to us and tell us what you think. Uh, and that's it. So, you know, thank you for listening. And um, we'll see you in a few weeks with another episode where we're going to be discussing what? Oh, should we, do you want to, should we tell them? Should we tell? Uh, no, 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 no. Just keep an eye out on uh, you know on our Twitter feeds. Um, yeah. You know at, at Matty Budrevich and what's yours, Dave? At the Dave Wayne. Yeah, you know we we end up uh, sort of I guess shooting our loads early and giving the surprises away because we <laughs> just can't <laughs> we just can't keep the excitement. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the Schlock and Awe page on Instagram. While you're welcome to stalk Maddie and Dave on Twitter. See you next time on Natural Selection.